Welcome in to 2 for Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of 2 for 1 Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. I'm here in studio in Cincinnati with my guy, Mike Renner, ready to rip it up on our weekly mailbag episode. Dude, the questions are flowing in. To get your question answered on these mailbag episodes, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, and ask your question in there. We're backed up. We got reviews all the way back to January 25th that we're still getting to, but please get it in. You'll eventually get your question answered. We also have interviews with Quinn Miners and Aline McNeil of NC State. McNeil, man, awesome interview. Definitely tune into that and touch on some recent news. David Montgomery flirting with a trade at the beginning on Twitter, and then also Tommy Brady drinking that avocado tequila. Funny tweets there. Let's get it. stories at the top of the podcast today the mailbag episodes we got to be quick we got to get right into it but i will tease this one my dad in addition to all this crazy stuff that he's done has a freaking insane pit bull his name is cheech and i i all i have to say is there's a point where he has to tackle the pit bull to save a girl's life and it is the funniest story again i always say this about my dad's stories to think about from the freaking chick's point of view because it is hilarious what goes down with this? I'll tell that one on the Monday episode. And I know you got one to tease as well. Oh, oh yeah, I'll, I'll throw some dating stories out there. There's a good dating past. story. This is one of my favorite stories you have. Dating. Full stop. Yeah, I got some. I got one that I we should. I I want to tell at one point because it's not that bad, mm-hmm. but we need the visuals with it. I have yes. videos that go along with it. It truly is an all timer. It is. But maybe I'll maybe I'll save that for right before the draft. I that love one. that. Save and that one. Drop it on you guys in that week that is the best week of the year uh, i can't wait can't wait uh today we got the interviews at the back end nc state's lee mcneil he told me he can run in the four eights mike he's like trying to get in the four eights at 320 he played this past uh, year at 340 because they played so much uh, zero technique he played so much zero technique at nc state and he said i'm getting down to 320 and he said he wants to run in the four eights he says he can get into the four eights that would be absolutely bonkers Aline McNeil. He also that, said, uh, yeah. he also talked about his background playing running back and linebacker. He's been playing running back and linebacker since he was seven years old and then first played defensive line at NC State as a four-star recruit and all that stuff. It, it's an awesome interview. We also talked to uh, Quinn Miners, a legend. His nickname at Wisconsin Whitewater is The Gut and a big reason why he always has well, his gut out. Has gut out. Yeah. yeah, that's how it goes. All right. Uh, we, before we dive into the mailbag, I know you wanted to bring up some recent Twitter dominance some, some tweets that dominated Twitter let's start with the David Montgomery tweet that's been since deleted this Playing- was an incredible confluence of, yes one okay so the tweet is that David Montgomery said out was playing in Chicago has been fun and I met some great people along the way David Montgomery is also not verified on Twitter so I saw it I'm like is this even David Montgomery but it is he has like 50,000 followers a past tense tweet like that about playing in Chicago everyone's like okay David Montgomery just got traded you don't tweet that unless you're Magic Johnson <laughs> about playing Chicago. It's been fun. Like that is a ridiculous thing to say unless you just were informed that you were either cut or traded. And so everyone's like, okay, David Montgomery just got traded. Like Carson Wentz deal is on. And then he just tweets out like 10 minutes later, y'all took that completely wrong. It was not intended for the purpose of football. Has nothing to do with ball. I love Chicago and ready to be here for a long time and win a lot of games. It's incredible. Like it's honestly incredible. He had to know what he was doing. What, what was that? That one I was like the most ridiculous story of the day. And then there was also the Tom Brady story, getting hammered on the boat, throwing the Lombardi trophy that 
got played out within 10 minutes of it happening. I, oh my gosh, why? That literally dominated the entire timeline. People watching yeah. him stumble out of the bar, and it was just not out of the bar, but off the boat, I guess. It's like, but, oh my um, God, Brady drinks too. Whoa. Yeah. He, he pulled out better than I do. I remember you've had to carry me out a couple yeah. times. His feet weren't dragging. You're, yeah. The telltale sign, if you see Austin Gale out at a bar in Cincinnati and his feet are dragging, just call him an Uber. He drags his feet across the ground when he walks, when he's drunk, when he's like at that level of drunk. Oh man, it's not good. It's not good. I also am big on the Irish goodbye. You know, if yeah. I feel it, if I feel it and I'm like out of it, I'm out. I, I just leave. Don't tell anyone else. I go to the bathroom, whatever. You know, I, you brought up Magic Johnson. So for those who don't know on Twitter, Magic Johnson tweets out like super generic tweets. Like if someone wins the World Series, he's like the Los Angeles Dodgers win the World Series 8-2. Congratulations, Los Angeles. It's, it's freaking disaster. You know, has a little bit of a Magic Johnson in him. PFF underscore Steve. <laughs> Dude, you read some of his tweets during the Super Bowl? Before yeah, the Super Bowl, before the Super Bowl, he wrote, he tweeted out, let's do this. Like, come on, Steve. Let's do this. 18 likes. The other thing I love, there's another one. Um, run game has flipped the field for the Chiefs. 14 likes. He just tweeted out the number four at one point during the Super Bowl. The, the, this, oh, the, yeah. the best one was um, at the end. The Bucks were 7-9 last year. 15 and 5 with a Super Bowl ring in 2020. Dude's just tweeting from Wikipedia. It was so funny. I, I'm dying. Steve has a great Twitter, 70,000 plus followers for a reason. Awesome dude. But there's sometimes when he's live tweeting shit where it's like, dude, you literally just tweeted what you just saw. The one that I always am scrolling the timeline during like a Sunday and I'm like, what are you like thinking here? Is uh, beat reporters tweeting out play by play. Yes. <laughs> it's like, if I'm, if I'm a fan of yours enough to f be following you, I'm watching the game, listening to it on the radio. I'm finding a way to figure out what's going on in this football field that's not your Twitter account tweeting out third down uh, conversion fails, you know? That's just, it's insane. <laughs> the worst is when, like, a reporter or somebody will quote tweet and just say exactly what whoever, like, like they'll quote tweet, Adam Schefter will say, like, uh, yeah. Julio Jones is out today, and then somebody will quote tweet it and be like, Julio Jones is out today at... Uh, per at Adam Schefter. It's but, like, I mean, dude, just the hit the retweet button. Oh, if, yeah. Wait, just smash retweet. You don't have to quote it. I think that's the issue, though. And we don't, I don't want to get into this too much, but like the, the era of everyone has access, it's like shifting what reporting is. And there are some that are still clinging to if I'm a reporter for this team, regardless of publication, I need to be sending out this information because my followers deserve it and I need to be reporting news. But everyone has access now. As soon as something happens, everyone saw it from Adam Schefter's Twitter. In the past, it used to be journalists were beloved and followed and read for their access. Now, teams are sending out post-game press conferences live on Twitter. Like, yeah. there's no – the access barrier isn't there. It used to be, like, a credentialed reporter watched the game live, and if you wanted to see it live, you could follow him on Twitter or you could see him reporting that news live. Now it's like, I see it. Everyone sees it. It's killing what reporting was now, and it's why so many people are shifting from access-based journalism to analysis-focused, where you're looking at, like, why did they make that decision? To PFF, to, by to subscription. PFF, by subscription. Yeah. Edge and Elite. Let's go. All right, well, let's get into the mailbag, big dog. Let's get into the mailbag. I'm ready to so rock, dude. I, I love the mailbag episodes, man. Yeah. Love Going through the questions episodes. always makes my day. Yeah. All right. From JDD on January 25th. Remember, if you want to get your question answered for the mailbag, Leave a five-star review on Apple and leave a question. Will we get to it next week? Maybe not. Will we get to it eventually before say, the draft? Absolutely. We will get there. They're starting with one from January 25th. So, so that's where we're And we've had right over now. 200 since February 7th, I think. So we're trying. We're trying. We're moving. All right. JDD, hashtag love the pod. Just started listening. 
Just started listening to the pod three or four months ago and haven't missed an episode since. Way more informative than other draft and football podcasts. I'm a big Falcons fan, and I want to get your take on a couple things. A twofer. Should the Falcons take a quarterback at three and plan for the future or trade back or at four or trade back and require as much talent as possible with the hopes of winning a Super Bowl with Matty Ice? This one's tough. I love this quarterback class. So I'm of the opinion that I would stick there. Justin Fields is there. I'd take Justin Fields. Because you're picking at four for a reason. You weren't good enough roster. And you're not going to be picking at four every year. Like the, you, you rarely do teams bottom out that hardly. And especially when you have Matty Ice a quarterback. And like he's not necessarily finished. Like he's not he's not washed the wash conversation, whatever. But he's not getting better. Mm-hmm. You're not getting 2016 back. I'm sorry. That ship has sailed. You can run a good offense with Matty Ice, but I'm in the opinion that Justin Fields could theoretically be better than Matt Ryan. He is a more talented physically at the quarterback position, more talented physical specimen. So I'd take quarterback, but like if not, I would I would trade back. I would not stick at four. If someone else wants quarterback, I'm trading. Even that's, if it's Carolina Panthers. That's been the conversation since probably January one. You know, it's yeah. like if you are drafting inside the top three, top four. Trade out if you're not taking one of these quarterbacks because it's that good of a class to where a team like Carolina, a team like Philly, a team like Denver, San Francisco is going to want to come up and grab one of these guys. As and we're going to get to this probably next week. The Athletics, Dane Brugler, friend of the pod, dropped a mock with multiple teams trading up to go get a quarterback, and I think that is going to happen. I honestly think those trades are going to happen. That's how good this quarterback class is. The other thing I'll say, because the conversation about the Atlanta Falcons taking a quarterback is interesting, largely because. Matt Ryan's deal is very hard to trade out of, and it's got two-plus years left on it. Like, what do they do with Matt Ryan if they do take a Justin Fields? What is, what is his trade value, knowing that they would take on likely some dead cap? I don't think you have to trade him right now is the other thing. Like, you don't have to force a guy in. Trade value, though, what it would be, I, I think a first, like, you're telling me that the Chicago Bears wouldn't give up a first to Matt Ryan. They're about to give up a first to Carson Wentz, maybe, <laughs> reportedly. Pray to God they they don't. I but think they do. I think they do. I've too. seen some things. I think they're going to trade at least a first for Carson <laughs> Wentz. Oh, you have definitely seen some things, but uh, yeah, I, I just at least a first, probably more than a first, probably like a first in the second or a first and third. All right. Second question from JDD: If the Falcons don't take a quarterback, do you sell out on defense or finally build a stable defense, or sell out on offense or finally build a stable defense and hope coaching turns the offense around? I, I think in this class, you sell out an offense. You you get another playmaker and you try to light up scoreboards because, like one Caleb Farley, I don't I don't think is necessarily going to fix your defense with how bad your pass rush is outside of Gray Jarrett, the holes you might have at safety after this offseason. One Kyle Pitts though, one Jalen Waddle with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley could take that offense like scary good, mm-hmm. and so. That's where I'd go. I love a Pitts or Waddle at four, or if they trade back and yeah. grab him at like six, seven, eight, whatever that might be. That's awesome. I like that. Good question from JDD. Let's now jump to Skull Thune. All right, this is a long one. Okay. Why do NFL teams stray so far away from the draft community consensus when it tends to work out poorly more often than not, excluding quarterback picks, which don't really compare because of the drastic difference in value? They don't, I don't think they pay attention to the consensus thing. And we've talked about how that can be problematic from a valuation perspective when you're taking a guy 
that you could have had 20 picks later if you had realized that like no mm-hmm. one else was going to take him and like you know Damon Arnett, Cleveland Farrell, the Raiders, we've talked about it with them. And like a tight ship if you're only running this uh you know 15 person scouting department say you can cause confirmation bias. One guy at the top says something and all of a sudden everyone agrees with him and you're not getting any checks checks and yes. balances. You're not getting any checks and balances. That is something that's not brought up with like the consensus that. board. The consensus board yes. is fucking chock full of confirmation uh confirmation bias and stuff like that. And like where people are building their draft boards with with the nervousness of like, oh, I can't be that can't low on too him. Far. Yeah, yes. I can't stray too far from what the real thing. what Kuiper, what PFF does. And that's yeah. why I agree with you that the consensus board can – you need to factor that in when you're looking at the consensus board. But I'm saying like even in an NFL front office, if the GM or whatever, a guy in charge tells you he likes a guy, are you – Gonna have? Are you a scout? Oh, you yeah. or someone underneath them going to challenge that opinion and be willing to, or are you gonna fall in line and say, "Yeah, like we all like this guy now"? Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. I, I think that's kind of a big problem when you do have a tight ship, when you're not listening to other outside opinions, uh, and like crowdsourcing has been shown. The, the idea of crowdsourcing of opening up a problem to the a vast majority of people to, you know, all people that exist in the world, you re- you get better answers, more accurate answers in return than if you're just one expert trying to come to that answer. It has been shown that crowdsourcing does work. So I do think there is benefits to knowing what's going on and what other people think. But I think NFL teams a lot of times don't take that into account enough. I think there's a ton of value in, as a front office, looking at things like a consensus board for the reason you stayed at the top, to avoid drafting players too yeah. highly. Yeah. You know, when you look at the Damon Arnett pick, the Jordan Brooks pick, the LJ Collier sure value, Isaiah yeah. Wilson, you know, you look at it, it's like, okay, on this consensus board comprised of 30 plus forecasters and 30 plus experts or quote unquote experts, Damon Arnett is not even valued as a top 60 player. Yeah. We, it's not saying we don't draft Damon Arnett. I love Damon Arnett. I'm Mike Mayock. I love Damon Arnett. <laughs> but let's try and trade back and see if he's still there. Because yeah. what's the worst that could happen? You're drafting the next player on your board, and you can't be overconfident yeah. in your valuation. You have to think the guy after Damon Arnett on our board also has a very good chance of being damn good. Yeah, like the article I wrote today about the biggest draft mistakes, which I think we, we should talk about next week, which is a good uh, article to revisit. We'll do biggest draft mistakes, and the, I'll write the biggest uh, draft hits also next week. We'll do those on a pod. But the biggest draft mistake, the one team that really stuck out like a sore thumb was the Pittsburgh Steelers. When they, by all accounts, by every independent evaluator, reached hard on Artie Burns, reached hard on Terrell Edmonds. The cornerback drafted Artie Burns was Xavier Howard. The cornerback drafted after? Yes. The safety drafted next after Terrell Edmonds was Jesse Bates. Arguably a top three corner and a top three safety. And they top one. Yeah. And they were like literally like their confidence in that evaluation that this guy that no one else was high on. Uh, sometimes it comes back to bite. like I'm just saying like the that is, and one of the and the last part of his question there was why does like things like this happen like overconfidence gets rewarded in every step of the process when hiring mm-hmm. the guy that comes in and says I know exactly who's going to be good is the guy you're gonna like the guy who is very stern in his evaluations and believes wholly in himself is the guy who does well in an interview. The guy who says, I'm not like, I admit I don't know everything. Uh, I know that you're not going to hire that guy. The guy who says he doesn't know everything. Why would you? But that helps you when it comes to building a roster and building uh, through the draft because 
we don't know. It's been proven that no one ends up knowing at the end of the day. So that to me, uh, whatever, that answers the question. <laughs> that is a, it's a good question. I'm glad we brought it up because I think it's, I've had a lot of conversations with you and other people about the draft and process and how you should approach things. I think that's, um, you know, consensus board, I think is something and crowdsourcing is something you have to involve in your process. Like you would be foolish not to evolve it in your process. All right, let's jump now to Liam Ford, 17. Love the show. Keep it up. Especially love the interview with Quiddy Pay. So I'd be interested to see your guys' interview on more prospects. We're interviewing a ton Buddy, of prospects. Get so ready. Next week, I got Sean Wade on Monday. I have Caleb Farley on Wednesday. Trayvon Mulrig of TCU on Thursday. And the following week, we're working on some bigger names too, man. We might get some analysts on. I got a handful of guys coming, Mike. You're not really ready for this. But the interviews have been fun. I, I love tacking those on at the back of the podcast. All right. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, his question is, what do you guys think of the Iowa receiver, Amir Smith-Marset? I think he's really slept on despite the lack of college production, considering the quarterback play at Iowa and their overall philosophy that doesn't exactly lend itself to receivers. So he's fast. That, that is his biggest selling point. But he's 6'1", 179, skinny. He's kind of stiff. Like, I, I, he's not... It's not only that he's not like a talented route runner right now. Like I, I think he's going to be limited as a route runner, like wholesale. But he's going to be a one-trick pony kind of guy where he runs vertically. John Ross. Mm, John Ross. That was just a slight dig at Quinn. Yeah. Okay, I'm just trying to dig at Quinn a little bit. We got to tell that. St- well, it's not my story. It's your guys' story. Yeah, but, we will. But we, we will. will. Once John Ross out of the league, which yeah. might not be long. Yeah. Uh, Teaser. My uh, question is also involving another potential. I forgot Quinn has a question. We'll take yeah, his after yeah. this. We'll take Quinn's question after this. But and, and then he doesn't have good ball skills. Like he has consistent drop problems, consistent trouble playing through traffic. So I could be wrong in this. Like I just said, no one really knows. I, I'm just not a fan of Smith Marset. Probably not even uh, draftable grade. This is why I love the mailbag too, because like Amir Smith Marset's probably not getting brought up a ton. Yeah, like if we drafts. don't love we a guy, don't, yeah. we're not going to bring him up much. So Amir Smith Marset. It's nice that we get these sure. questions to bring him in. All right, Quinn, what's your question? All right, so given what's going on in Houston and reportedly going on in Seattle with some quarterbacks, maybe not thrilled about um, not being involved in the decision-making process Mm -hmm. and maybe some of their ideas are shunned or fallen upon deaf ears. Do you think the Bengals should lend a little more credence? Not that they're not thinking about drafting Jamar Chase, but do you think they should lean a little more that way given that Joe Burrow had success with him at, at LSU, came out, I think it was like two weeks ago, and pretty much said, I would love to play with him again. Do you think that trying to appease your franchise quarterback kind of moves the needle in one direction or another. What what say you? It's interesting. I, so it's something that we really have the luxury of not thinking about is those ancillary factors here about like keeping guys happy and uh, maintaining a locker room. We kind of just get to evaluate talent in a vacuum and just say, this guy's better than this guy, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. We don't have to worry about any of that stuff. But I do think that's a dynamic that is going to only grow. Like, quarterbacks are realizing that they can they can hold out they can they hold a lot of power because it is the most valuable position on the football field they are you know as close as it gets to nba players and the value that they've you know shown over their franchises in recent years in the nba so i do think it's going to be something and if penny sewell is not on the board like and jamar chase is there yeah joe burrow will be pretty pissed if you don't draft jamar chase and, and if you trade back and that sort of thing like i think he would be so 
I, it's difficult for me on the outside just to just be like, no, yeah, trade back, get value, whatever. But I, I do think like there is something to get Jamar Chase and you'll get, keep a quarterback happy because Joe Burrow, we saw what happened in Cincinnati with Carson Palmer. That's already happened. We know that Cincinnati, we live here. We know it's not, you know, the Carlos, bees knees. Uh, Dunlap, AJ Green, no Miami, a, lot, you know? a long list. It's yeah. a long list. I walked to no the Miami, office this morning so. and my mustache froze. There's yeah. not a lot of not, lot, lot, like, not a lot of nice things. No one's here. choosing to live here if you're not playing for the Bengals or for PFF is the thing. So, yeah. yeah, I think that is something that actually has to be factored in if you're the Bengals. My opinion is involve them in the conversation. Sit them down and say, yeah. hey, here's, here's who we're thinking about. If Panay Sewell and Jamar Chase is on board, we're leaning Sewell. What's your take on that after just breaking your freaking leg? He's like probably going to say, yeah, I like that. Panay Sewell looks good. We moved Jonah Williams to right. I really like that. I think that's a great idea. He said, if Sewell's off the board, we're considering Chase. What's your opinion of that? And you get him involved in the conversation. That is, that's all that they want. And that's all what these guys want. They want to be involved in the conversation. You don't have to follow them blindly, but involve them in the conversation. Yeah. Be transparent with your process. You yeah. know, it's just, it's, it's, it's the same thing with like managing content here at PFF. Be transparent with what you're trying to do. This is what we're trying to do. This is how we're trying to get there. What do you guys, what do you guys think? Like, that's what you have to do. Like, I Austin's, think, <laughs> Austin's angling for a GM job. I'm he angling for a GM job. An NFL no, GM. No, but I'm serious though. Like why, what is, what do you benefit it's, from yeah, not I mean, involving It's management fran- 101. Yes, like, it's management If you have a guy that's in, invaluable to you that you can't lose, like be like, yes. do everything you can to appease him. Exactly. And I think, what do you benefit from keeping him in the dark in the process? <laughs> like what do you benefit from not being transparent with like the yeah. best player on their team? Yeah. At the most valuable position. Talk to him through what you're thinking. Get his opinion on the situation. If he's like, no, we have to draft Chase over Sewell, it's like, okay, talk him off the ledge a little bit. It's like, you got to think about this. You know, we yeah. need help along the offensive line. Think about your so, left. Yeah. Knee. Let's get, let's set up a call with you and Sewell. Well, you get to, like, that, honestly, like, why not? Like, why not get to that level of detail? Either way, let's get out of this. Thank Quinn for that question. That was awesome. Thank you. I um, feel smarter. A Woods 13. Love the pod. It's probably my new favorite draft content to listen to. If for some reason the Jets decide to not take a quarterback, Who's the player you would like to see them to take? I I would think they would 100% trade back, but do you have any specific players you would see them target? Thanks. Penisol. Yep. Penisol. Like I've said, you got Mekhi Becton. Awesome. Love Mekhi Becton at this point. Franchise left tackle. Imagine if you had two Mekhi Bectons. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, look at what the Saints have had. Look at what the Chiefs have had. Look at teams, the Packers, for the past decade. Like, when you have two tackles that you just don't have to worry about as an offense coordinator you're never adjusting your game plan for opposing pass rush there's no there's no like oh shit we got to worry about Mm -hmm. how do we block Khalil Mack that never factors in you just run your offense every game and then that to me is a better building block starting point than one left tackle and one franchise receiver two building block tackles that you're just never going to bad an eye about that's where i would go and that's and also that factors in how good we feel about sewell as a prospect i I still think though and i know this isn't part of the question if you're against taking zach wilson or justin fields at two taking sewell is the third best option the second best option is trading back like if you're not going to take a quarterback at two get out of that pick and take sewell at four or five or or another receiver at six like do not do not I don't know. It takes two to tango. Maybe you can't trade back, but like I would not be turning down offers if I'm not taking a quarterback at two. Mm-hmm. That's my take. All right. Jumping now to Ajax underscore one, six, two, four. I understand off ball linebacker is not a high value position, but when you guys look at linebackers is coverage more important than blitz ability. 
Awesome take on Jabril Cox on Monday's pod. Love the Darius Leonard comp. I do too. That's why I made it. <laughs> Uh, what does his draft range look like? He seems to be dropping in favor of run stuffers like Moses and blitzers like Collins. I think Cox is day two. So to answer the first part of your question, coverage versus blitzability, your scheme. What's your scheme going to ask you to do? That's what are you going to ask very him much, to do? That's why we say, you know, Xavier Collins can fit here. But if you're going to go here, no. You know, like that's why the defense that you're running matters a lot for coverage positions. Like the, what you're coveting at the guys who are off the ball a lot of times on the last scrimmage, not nearly as impactful, but off the ball guys, what you're asking them to do matters because certain guys have certain movement skill sets or physical skill sets that fit well in one, not so well in the other. So if you are Tampa Bay or the Steelers and you're asking that linebacker to come 50% of the time on passing downs, shit, you want the blitz ability. Like that's, yeah. if you, if you got to, Jabril Cox not going to be a blitzer. Let's face it. Like, he is not a guy you want coming home downhill. Uh, that's not what he is. He is a guy who is smooth in coverage that will you can rely on in that regard. So I think he's a day two guy because, again, that's – and I hate to use this word because I'm guy sitting on my couch, 180 pounds, never played football in high school or college, but he's soft in, in terms of, like, against other linebackers. I hate when like people who sit on Twitter and call guys soft or cowards or whatever. It's like you fucking don't know. Uh, it's a different, it's yeah. a different animal at that level. But like he is comparatively to other linebackers, he's a little soft. He does not explode into hits. He doesn't like take on blocks exceptionally well. Doesn't stack and shed. He's not that kind of guy. So that's not going to be everyone's cup of tea. It's not a guy you're going to draft on day one. I think a day two, the coverage ability is there, and that's where he comes off the board i wonder if there's a better word to use than soft because i feel like soft has such a negative connotation i know it's a negative term but like soft also has like some off-field like personality attack you know oh, what I mean? yeah. it's like soft is like yeah he's a little soft it's like oh wow so that guy it. sucks you know but i think there's there's a way to he's... talk about linebackers that aren't hard-nosed that aren't like just mental like physical freaks out there like that's soft is maybe the, it is soft is the, i'm sorry uh, i just you know I'm, I'm trying i saw to help him get his lunch money taken in the dining hall uh, okay yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. so that he's type, bullied he's a victim type, yeah call him a victim <laughs> I'm look up antonym of hard-nosed i like that i like that um all right let's jump to wild bulldog should the lions take a quarterback or... sentimental is the answer <laughs> no, i like hard, sentimental <laughs> he's a little sentimental <laughs> he's a little sentimental on the field um should the lions take a quarterback or a wide receiver or some other position also been watching the podcast since 2019 love that so pretty much who should the Lions take at seven? This one's wide open. Mm -hmm. They can go anywhere. And if like Justin Fields falls there or Trey Lance, like I, I wouldn't hate going quarterback. We said that they are firmly in the number one pick conversation next year. So it's not like they need to go quarterback. Like, oh, we only have Jerry Goff. We have to go quarterback. No, I think you can wait. Wait a year on this one. The position that's kind of the dark horse for them that I would say cornerback yes they just went cornerback last in the top 10 Jeffrey Kuda, whatever their DC Aaron Glenn former cornerback yeah they have Amani Oruarie too but like again are you stopping the Packers with a two down linebacker uh another wide receiver is that moving the needle against you for the Packers like a, a three-headed monster Caleb at cornerback Caleb Farley at cornerback could immediately give you a competent defense if you have like if you're scheming at a, at a good rate, and he obviously hits the ground running. So I think Caleb Farley is the dark horse candidate, I'll say, for the Lions in that top 10 there. I, I also think that we're going to see a lot of mock drafts sending them a wide receiver, yeah. especially 
yeah, with how they're going to approach free agency. They, like, Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, and Danny Amendola are all free agents. Like you're going they, to they, they franchise Galladay. Oh, they did franchise. Galladay. I mean, they they will. Okay, right? Like yeah, yeah, you don't yeah. you don't they can't just part ways with that asset. Like they can get if they franchise and they can get like a tag and trade second or third. Yeah, yeah. At least. No, you're right. You're right. So they're likely f- at least tag Galladay, but they're they're going to need wide receiver depth. And I think you could see Waddle mock to them a ton. Devontae mm-hmm. Smith mock to them a ton. Um, I, I'm interested to see how their needs shift after free agency. But I do like dark horse cornerback specifically Caleb Farley at that spot. All right, let's now go to sharp eight. Trevor Lawrence on NFL of NFL draft pods. All right. Came for the draft analysis. Stay for all of Austin's crazy stories involving cars. Let's get the best draft pod out there. Some clout. Quick question on the mailbag. Who is your guy in this year's draft? Basically, what prospects are you much higher on than consensus on that you would definitely want on your team if you're one of the 32 GMs? And yes, Trevor Lawrence is obvious, but maybe even somebody on day two you would love to have. I don't know. Who's your guy? Darius Washington, man. He is my guy in this class. We've talked about him a lot. TCU safety. Uh, wasn't even in Mel Kuyper's top 10 safeties. So that's... We got to talk about this. he's rankings. 43rd on our draft board. So that's how out there on the limb I am with my love of our dearest Washington. Who's your guy? I also will throw in a guy that I'm really high on that similarly hasn't gotten a lot of love. Justin Hilliard, Ohio State linebacker. He's awesome, man. Cincinnati guy. Barely played. That's why, like, no one's high on him. He's played, never played more than 220 snaps in the season in his career. His recruiting background he's is awesome. bonkers. He was, like, a former five-star out of Cincinnati that, like, everyone and their mother wanted on yeah. their team. I he's, think he's got he's some good. tools. Like, he actually, like, put it together this past year. I, I think I'm leaning towards, I really like Asante Samuel Jr. Rondell Moore is also, I think, after seeing Daniel Jeremiah and Mel Kuyper's rankings lately, he's getting slept on. Like, that's another guy that I just want on my football team. Rondale's you know? awesome. Rondale, yeah, Rondale was probably my guy. Asante Samuel Jr., I think, are two guys that I really do like. I also like Aline McNeil. I just talked to him, so maybe that's a little biased. But, like, Aline McNeil is another one where just talking about how how much he's able to control his weight, you know, what he played at last year and how much faster he can get. Like, I, I do think Aline McNeil, DT2, day two, whoo. Did you, did you tease how his 40 that he yeah, said? Yeah, he said he could run the 4 8 stocks. Oh. He also said his vert and his broad are pretty decent. He's So he's going to drop from 340 to 320. He's like, I'm in the process of it. It's going to happen. And you can get to this interview at the back end of the podcast here. But like him going down that's 20 like pounds. Lunch. Yeah. I feel like that way. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> he said his favorite cheat meal was at some restaurant in Raleigh that sounded awesome. And it was an Italian place. But goddamn. I've been to Raleigh. That's where the story I want to tell. Oh, nice. We'll get there. That could have been a good tease. All right. Let's jump now to Justin Gooch. Uh, I love that name. Uh, Let's get to... Did you say Gooch? Yeah, Gooch. Okay. Uh, Love the show. These dudes know know. their stuff. I hope that's his real last name. (laughs) I think it is. (laughs) These dudes know their stuff. As a big Zach Wilson fan, I'm curious to know how teams might view his previous shoulder injury. I haven't had this conversation yet. I've heard that they're having a type of surgery he can actually make your shoulder stronger than it originally was. How much does that impact his stock? So... I talked to a doctor about this. This is Your how dad? much I care about you guys. Yeah, I talked to my dad about this. <laughs> Orthopedic surgeon, in fact. My dad's a doctor, too. Oh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. This, <laughs> all right. I talked to a doctor about this. No long-term effects, he said. He said if it heals and he's played well with it, like there, it won't degenerate. Like there's no the, – the worry is right afterwards if, it, if it's completely back immediately and so the fact that he had it before his sophomore year played obviously the junior with it if it's that good it's that good there's no going back on it the making it stronger part he said it's a myth it'll make it stronger relatively to what it was before because it was torn for his whole mm-hmm. freshman year and like you're, you're going to have more snap when it's not torn than it was previously was torn or when it was degenerating 
So, so that's the only like difference. It is actually just like a healthy one now. But he said the interesting thing was it could be making you more accurate because you'll have more shoulder stability afterwards. Wow. And so believe in the accuracy post far more than the accuracy pre. People want my dad on the podcast. Mike, you need to get your dad on the podcast. He could actually like provide the, some analysis. What does your mom do? She was a lawyer. Lawyer. Nice. Doctor and a lawyer. That's pretty sweet. She was a prosecutor. Uh, that's, a nice, that's a nice combo deal. Um, could listen to this five times a week. This is from Sickman20. Looking at the, looking at last year's draft guide, when's the next one going to be released? Latest version came out February 8th. When it comes Next to individual- one, final one, March 30th. March 30th. Final one comes out March 30th, and you can get that with an Edge or Elite subscription. Go get it. Go get it. When it comes to individual positions, what data is the best to look at to predict success for prospects going into the NFL? This is the million-dollar question. Also, let's answer that one first. Which which data points, which... I mean, that's a lot, man. That one's a lot. Mm -hmm. That one's... There's not. I mean, like, there's not one... I wish there was, like, one data point. So does it. So do the NFL teams. Yeah. (laughs) Like, the best predictor of success in my opinion performance plus athleticism grading plus how like physical tools Mm -hmm. like that that is what i've come around for vast majority of the positions some not as much but like that's what it is it's a combination of that where pff has honed in and i've talked to eric eager a lot about this a data scientist here at pff who has like over the past 18 months been asked this question and teams are asking him this question how can we create college to pro projections how can we accurately put together like predictive power for these guys and he says the number one thing for a lot of positions is a an athletic score of some type where you're weighing broad jump 40 yard dash height weight and those things like for edge defender he said that's big for wide receiver it's really important it's a big reason why the analytics guys pushed for henry ruggs last year but the other thing he said some of the more predictive stuff that pff tracks is for offensive line and defensive line win rates in the trenches are very predictive to the next level especially when you're um, controlling for level of competition, you know, looking at just power five competition, those types of things, you're able to glean a lot from that. So it's it's a it's an ongoing process. Coverage grades need to improve here at PFF, specifically for players that aren't in like man to man situations, like linebackers and safeties stuff. stuff yeah, and stuff. Quarterback grading and accuracy stuff has had a huge improvement. When we started doing quarterback charting at the collegiate level in 2017, we're seeing like the Lamar Jackson charting is a very good example. Like that is relatively stable in the small sample size we do have. And as that gets better, I think you could start to see accuracy as a trait. Yeah. More teams start to covet coming out because there's legitimate data on it coming from PFF. The other part of his question was big Packers fan. Billy Turner has not at times been very highly graded for you guys, especially early in the season, even though ESPN had him graded really highly. Why do you think that was? Should the Packers keep him because of versatility and the idea he had, he'd be better if he was just playing right guard. Yeah, I think they should keep him. He's not that expensive this year. He's not a free agent, right? He's just going in his third year, and it's has like a little bit of a cap hit, but like his versatility is pretty valuable. I think we just saw this past year. I think the biggest thing is like when he loses, he loses like immediately. That is, and like we have levels of grading. Like if you lose on contact, that's the lowest grade you can get as an offensive lineman. If you're losing later in the snap, that's you might not even get a downgrade depending on how late it is. So that's probably the biggest thing i think the difference between us and Bill Jr. maybe has a high quote-unquote win rate and pass protection but like when he loses it's ugly man the ski man's got a lot of questions in this review i'm going to skip down yeah. to one more here is there a better player available to the packers at 29 at tackle or corner you take if rondell moore is on the board me no rondell moore is what that offense is missing in my opinion of 
having watched every single Packers game for the last 25 years, probably. You've been watching every Packers game since you were six. Probably. Shut up. I was. I went to a Packers game when I was three, I think. That's great. So, Don't first die. one. <laughs> Did the lawyer or the doctor take you? Sorry. Uh, Burkowski, six. No, no, no. Sorry. No, this is from Baja Fresh with two H's. What it do, fellas. Awesome podcast. Consistent content, even with Austin's crazy family stories. And absolutely love the transition the show has from postseason to free agency and draft season. Yeah, it's going to three episodes per week. Free agency is going to be a ton of fun. I wish we could have had the senior bowl episodes. I wish we could have had the combine episodes. Those are a lot of fun too. Next year, you know, we meet with, you know, a ton of analysts that we really like. Brugler, Jeremiah, Danny Kelly from the ringer is fun. I I, guys from the draft network. It's, it's a lot of fun, but unfortunately unable to get person to person contact this year. Let's find this guy's question. It's a long review here. Um, I'm a diehard Baltimore Ravens fan. If you know the history of the organization, they love defense, but do not value offense like other teams. And they especially do not develop wide receiver talent. It seems like this organization is completely lost with today's concept of being a passing league. Last time we paid a QB, it was Joe Flacco's Super Bowl offseason, and that cost us for years acquiring talent in a year out, year in and year out. Now Lamar Jackson is eligible for a contract extension, and we don't have the weapons to compete with the Chiefs or anybody else in the AFC. My question is, <laughs> should they attack the draft with getting an edge rusher or continue to swing late on receiver talent, say a Terrace Marshall or Rashad Bateman? I am going to, one, start by saying disagree with that. They don't get the concept of being a passing league. I think they get it wholesale. You've, there's not been a team who's invested more in their secondary than the Baltimore Ravens over the past three or four years. They understand that's how you build a good pass defense. They realize that other people are passing. And then offensively, since they've you know allocated their resources heavily to the defensive side of the ball, they've realized, hey, if we go completely run heavy, we won't have to pay the positions that normally get paid a lot in that you can get a running quarterback, you can get an athletic quarterback that no one else is going to value because he's not a good passer. You don't have to pay a bunch of wide receivers, even though they keep investing in wide receiver themselves to try to help Lamar Jackson. Like they've drafted, I think six or so over the past uh, five years. Like they keep trying at least. So I do think they get it, but they're just kind of taking a different route offensively because it's cheaper that way. So the problem here is Orlando Brown just requested a trade. That's really going to bone them because you had two good tackles that were kind of masking the fact that you had shit for interior offensive line after Marshall Yonder retired. Then Ryan Stanley gets hurt. Wheels kind of fall off down the stretch. If Orlando Brown's gone. You're, you're not going to get the odds of you, whatever you trade Orlando Brown for, you're not going to, the odds of you immediately replacing Orlando Brown's production or you know, capability is slim. So, they're kind of screwed in that regard. I, I do. I've said before, I think on the pod that like I would go heavy offensive line. Again, it's, it doesn't take that much investment to to build up a good offensive line. You can get those guys in the third, get those guys in the fourth that can be starters on the interior. And I would try. I see Ty, Tyree Phillips last year didn't end up working out as a rookie. Maybe he turns on year two, but like I would try to build up the most dominant rushing game I possibly can there, because like one wide receiver. Not sure it's really moving the needle that big for you with, with the Ravens. Like, like Mar- Marquise Brown still gets open down the football field. He just got missed a lot last year. Orlando Brown conversation is interesting because he ranks inside the top five in PFF pass blocking grade on true pass sets since 2019. The number one player on that list is Ronnie Stanley. Like, they have two they top are, five offensive tackles. I don't think he knows what he's not saying. Like, I think he's in for a rude awakening if he gets traded to, like, the Giants or something. 
it's going to be tough as shit to pass protect against someone that's not Lamar Jackson. No one rushes Lamar Jackson normally. Yeah. You know what? You can't do well, it inside the Bengals, like The Bengals have been involved in that conversation. It's yeah. like, dude, you're in that. They run a ton of five man protections. Like, it's going to be a grind. You can't. You, he's not going to. So Atlanta Brown does not have to worry about inside moves because you can't do an inside move against Lamar Jackson and below contain. You mm-hmm. cannot let him get to the edge. That's a first down if you do that. And you can't do a hard outside move against Lamar Jackson and get pushed past the pocket for the same reason. So you're facing a lot of just bull rushes, contain rushes. It is not like that's the reason why you have number one and number two or number five right there. Man. A pass pocket. So he's going to go if he does get traded somewhere and he's getting traded because he wants to left tackle money. If he gets traded somewhere, I I think he's in for a rude awake. I don't Man. think it's going to be as sweet. Like, it's not going to be as easy for him. I think it's so. smart for the Baltimore Ravens to, I think, have the conversation that, hey, this is the type of contract we'll pay you to continue to play right tackle for the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah. If you don't want that, we're going to move on. And the Baltimore Ravens can get really good value turning a third-round pick into, like, maybe yeah. a second for Orlando. I, I, if I were them, I probably would trade him. Yeah. I mean, at that point, he's already requested a trade. That relationship could be tarnished. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. They may not have a choice. Uh, Harry the Scout. Since the Bears, finally a short question, thank God. Since the Bears will presumably do nothing positive this offseason with Pace staying, what could the dream 2022, this is sad, what could the dream 2022 offseason look like, assuming they clean house after this year? I, can I have a small break here? I, we've had some of this conversation a ton, but I find NFL fandom, fanat- fanatics, yeah. In, insane and, and, and incredible that the NFL, this organization, this company, this business has marketed or created a marketing strategy that wholeheartedly supports the the diehard fanatics of football and their teams. People get tattoos of their teams on their bodies. Like it is insane. It is frowned upon in the NFL and NFL culture mm-hmm. to not wholeheartedly support your team. Win, lose, or tie. Raiders till I die. And it's and that level of marketing and that level of culture has created shit like this, where people are like, fucking, dude, staying up at night, thinking about yeah. the 2022 offseason for a team that looks at you as a, a statistic, you know, as a number in the stands. It's incredible, man. A tip your cap. I don't tip blame your them. cap to the NFL and what they've done. It's the only reason you it's and I have jobs. It's the best game in the world. I mean, it's, it's the best game in the world. That's why. It's the only reason you and I have jobs. That culture yeah. that they've created around NFL fandom. But... You're, you're from Harry the Scout. What's your take on 2022 offseason for the Bears? All right, here. I want to read the next question too, I'll, because it's a Bears question, and we'll answer them together here. Oh, oh, there's two Bears questions. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. This is from Hester Bear. Fair. Uh, the podcast is by far my favorite podcast to listen to at the moment. Mike and Austin are great personalities with fun stories, and the info they put out is never just filler. It's great that you're interested in the. Okay. Um, Mailback question. How do you fix the Bears for the foreseeable future? The roster is too good to draft a high-end quarterback, but missing a quarterback to compete for a Super Bowl. Do you trade away stars like Mack and Akeem Hicks and start over? No. You're still kind of... I think people would think about this roster a lot differently if they just didn't have Mitch Trubisky. You know? You're about as bad as it gets to the quarterback position in the NFL right now. Teams would think differently about him if they had Kirk Cousins. Like they would, they would think about this roster as being in a better position than the Vikings. Like they have talent, and so that's why. If I'm Bears GM Ryan Pace, I've mortgaged a lot. I don't have a lot of a ton of not a lot ton of young talent has come through that door. I got a lot of guys in second deals. What I am doing is finding a way for Deshaun Watson or Matt Ryan. That's nice. where I'm selling out because that's my only hope in this Bears roster. Because if that doesn't work out, two years from now, it's not going to be good no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're, 
you're in a bad position, but you're you still have a roster that could win a Super Bowl should things go like you know well. Like they're, they're not going to be the best. If they roster, could land like, a Ryan if, or a if Watson, if you can land a Ryan or a Watson, you would be in a conversation for it at least. And that's what like for Ryan Pace to save his job, that's what he has to do. I agree. Sadly, so that's what I, I think. Like that's what I would go if I'm the Bears GM right now. And so for the 2022 offseason, you're hoping that, you know, it worked out with Deshaun Watson. You're not you don't have any picks is what you're hoping in 2022. Man, that's, that's so not Carson Wentz. Yeah, not Carson <laughs> Wentz. God damn. Um, that's funny. Sadly, the other thing, I, I'm still thinking about NFL fandom for a little bit because you brought this up before recording when you mentioned Antonio Brown, like couldn't have happened to a worse guy about the Super Bowl or something. Yeah. Or like another example is when who was it? Richard Rogers that dropped that offside onside kick or something like that for the Don't Packers. Bring that up. But either way, you received death threats in Twitter Rogers, DMs was, uh, on Instagram because of bringing up Antonio well, Brown's past. Richard Rogers yeah, and like threats. other guys in the past have gotten death threats. For yeah. like dropping a kick or dropping a when uh, Marcus Williams missed that tackle in the Minneapolis Miracle, like he had to like legit like stave off mobs. Like yeah. that's what the NFL culture has created. It is still stunning to me that it's it's to this level. All right, Will underscore Cast. Hey guys, love the podcast. I know it's early, but what can Sam Howell improve on this next season? This is another Bears fan, maybe. Again, it's early, but where do you rank him amongst QBs in this draft? Also, how annoying will it be when he gets compared to Mitch Trubisky? And who do you think will be the first to say, the, say that horrendous take? Ooh, Ooh. that's good. Um, hmm. I mean, you know who? My, no, we're not saying it. <laughs> first came to my mind. But I will say he has to play better against better defenses. What he did against Notre Dame, but against Texas A&M wasn't enough now actually i'm not sure if he plays clemson this year i would imagine if they don't then it'll be in like acc title game if they don't during the regular season i'm not sure i haven't looked at schedule we have to watch story. the little dj Can't but like for Ongalele next year a performance against a good defense is what he needs because i think that was the kind of the biggest thing lacking from this past year on team i'm getting not a great ex- defense the ACC. i'm getting fun. excited just thinking about the clips that are going to hit my timeline of dj, DJ. Ongalele just throwing like an 80 yard bomb he is has an absolute. You still follow Big Dave. Rocket. I still follow Big Dave. Of course, I still follow Big Dave. David Sofaro, if you're listening to the podcast, the guy who works for public relations, we need to get Big Dave on the pod. I don't yes, ask for a lot. Maybe not. Maybe not Next after week. the draft or something like that. Yeah. I think before the season, like a nice little teaser before yeah. the season. What has DJ done this offseason? We're looking. We're looking for that. All right. Let's now jump to Jack Durr. Love the show. You're my go-to place for draft insight. Also, Austin has the best facial hair in the game. Let's go. The mustache is staying. Here to stay. Warren Sharp, you're on freaking notice. Where's the camera? You're on freaking notice, Warren. You're on notice. What I want to ask is what are you guys' thoughts on Jaden Daniels? So I kind of like Jaden Daniels. I'll let you lead. But okay. do you think he has potential to be a first-rounder in 2022? And how good do you think he can be? He can scoot. That guy can run. But he's, he's 6'3", 185 is what he's listed at. Frail. And you're listed at 185. You're like they're probably giving him some pounds if you're already listed that low. He's got to put on weight. Like, I don't see anyone drafting that skinny a dude. Not, and, like, yes, he's athletic. He's not like Lamar Jackson athletic where Lamar Jackson's kind of that skinny, but not – like, he's a different level of athlete. So, got to put on some weight. He's not particularly accurate with football. But he can spin he it. He can't spin it. He had, like, a 37-yarder. Yeah, that his, his arm talent's freaking awesome. Yeah. Like, he – because like you don't expect it because his arms are, like – like really, really thin. He's got a really thin frame, but he can absolutely put some mustard on. Yeah, he snaps like that. Just yeah, he can. Throw if he can it, add some weight this offseason, I'd be interested. I'm starting to get interested. 
Like I think that would be that would they, be like only f- whatever five whatever games they played this past season. It yeah. was hard to really deduce too much. So talented for sure. Would I draft from the first round right now? Hell no. Yeah, but I mean, he to, does he have that opportunity to get there? Maybe. Yeah, I like that. All right, this is from Tanimal. Five one. Love the pod between the draft analysis, Austin stories about his parents, the dating stories. Two for one gets me through the workday. Love that. Big Mizzou fan. Love the breakdowns of Nick Bolton and Larry Borum. My NFL team is Arizona, and my question is which realistic wide receiver draft prospects would be good to pair with D-Hop in the desert? Love that alliteration. I can't see Chase, Waddle, or Smith being available at 16, but would be curious to who you guys think would be a good fit at 16 or in the second or the third round. Hey, never say never. Did we expect Jerry Judy to be available at 15 last year? No. So... It's, it's also the worst response to any mock draft, is that this guy will never fall there. Yeah. Because it, it, you Derwin don't know. at 17? No one saw that. It's possible. Now, the fact they're picking right behind the Patriots also kind of, you know, puts them behind the eight ball, that possibility, but would love Waddle there. That'd be that's that's what they need. And sadly, Andy Isabella has not been that guy. But also like Andy Isabella can be that pure deep threat, but you need a guy who can win at a number of different levels, but like also has speed. Mm-hmm. He's also fast. Christian Kirk, you can't win at a number of different levels. He's fast, but can't win. Uh Keyshawn Johnson can win underneath as slow as Dog shit. So the guy I would put a pin in and say this guy would love in the second round, Diami Brown, North Carolina. Already shown he can get off line of scrimmage, runs just a pure vertical tree at North Carolina, has the speed. That's not a worry about his. I like his ball skills too. I think he's good to contest the catch. And so Diami Brown's the guy I'd say if he's there in the second round, that would be a great fit. Love that. Love that. I still need to see more from Cliff Kingsbury. I want if you give him Diami Brown and, and some other weapons here, like come on, like it's got it's got to come waiting. together. It's yeah. got to come together. All right, this is from Rich Kellerher. Love the pod, except for the intro and the transition sound effects. Come on, we did get rid of the burp. Yeah, the burp is gone. We are. It's not. Oh, it's, it's not. I, we're working on it. I'll we're working get, on getting rid of the burp. No. I'll, we'll get new transitions and sound effects. It's it's coming. It's coming. I promise. It's coming. Feedback heard loud and clear. Also, they don't like the slurping or the gulp. Okay, we'll get out of it. We'll get out of this. All right. Anyway, let's say the Patriots trade for Stafford, assuming they trade this year's first round pick. Oh, they, this this question's too long ago. <sighs> Sorry, guys. Damn it. Well, 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 let's let's give this guy something. I know. Yeah. So, assuming they trade the first round pick, first round pick's gone. They traded it for Derek Carr. <laughs> Sorry. I don't hate that. <laughs> um, who should they target in the second? Wide receiver. I don't, you trade for a quarterback. If they did trade for Stafford, they trade for whatever quarterback. It's still not going to be great. Like I didn't think. Cam Even if Newton they take was, Mac Jones at fifteen, you're yeah. going to need some receiving. Talent. I didn't think Cam Newton was all that bad. He really just like it was still the same thing. Like look at Tom Brady's 2019 versus 2020. No weapons. Look, everyone said washed weapons. Fucking win Super Bowl. So wide receivers where I'd go. Almost like the same answer to the Arizona Cardinals problem here. It's like second round. Terrace Marshall, Tammy Brown. Uh, who's the other guy I like in that range that Elijah Moore if he's there probably not going to be there I don't know so, someone like that with someone who's dynamic because they do not have their another wide receiver court just like doesn't have speed mm-hmm. when you don't have speed makes defenses wait you don't think Demir Bird can be that guy for them sadly I do not alright well I apologize for getting to that question late that's the problem with you know being so backlogged we might have to run a double mailbag honestly like we are backlogged yeah let's run a double mailbag next week okay double mailbag we'll find a way all right. At some point. This is from Go Aztecs SD. Rise up, San Diego State legend here. Do more year-to-year comparisons at wide receiver and running back. Do more year-to-year. 
Better prospect, Javante Williams or Josh Jacobs? Javante Williams as a runner, Josh Jacobs overall. Nice. Travis Etienne and DeAndre Swift were born in the same month. Who's better right now? That one's tough. Does the same month factor into your evaluation? Travis Etienne, though. (laughs) Um, Which one was born first? (laughs) Devontae Smith is older than CeeDee Lamb. Who would you rather have? CeeDee Lamb. Better talent, Jalen Rager or Kadarius Tooney? Ooh. Tony. Really? Yeah. He wrote Tooney. Does that factor in? No. There's so many receivers you haven't talked about, and I'm far more interested in learning about the 12th best wide receiver than the 6th best interior lineman. We need to talk about more wide receivers. Uh, Do you want the 12th wide receiver on our draft board right now? Let's see it. Let's hear it. Let's see. 12th wide receiver on our draft board is... I'm on Ross St. Brown. He's solid. Amon Ross St. Brown is solid. I I was disappointed at his move to outside receiver. He didn't get better over the course of his college career. Like, he showed up as a freshman, and that was, like, the thing with the the St. Brown bros, they were like specimens by the time they were 16 years old. They were full grown. Yeah. Showed up already ready. And then just like, there was no next step. Like he's not particularly fast. He doesn't play particularly strong. Their dad did a very pedigree. good job of maxing them out. But yeah. then once they're maxed out, I don't know what, what level they can get beyond that. Yeah. I, I like this idea though, so. of doing like a two year or three year position rankings. If we could do that as a segment on the podcast, where you yes. look at like the previous receiver classes, pre- yeah. previous running back we classes. We should do that for a pod. In the doldrums in the March. Love that. Got two months of not much going to happen here. Love so. that. All right. Great stories. Great analysis. Great podcast. I don't know who this is from. I, I deleted the the intro. But oh, oh, well. As a fellow domer from Wisconsin, semifinal games have been nothing but pain since 2011. After the Packers take Travis Etienne 29, which prospects in later rounds would help the Packers get to the NFC Championship game hump over the, that hump? This guy knows the struggle. Um, I mean, obviously wide receiver would but like not realistic for the Packers they're not going to draft a wide receiver at this point the bang for the buck then in the second round after they uh, waste their first round pick again is cornerback or offensive line in my opinion cornerback one obviously being because second most valuable position on the football field we've seen guys make immediate impacts as mid-rounders it's not necessarily one you need to draft super highly but you just need to draft a lot of them because you need a lot of good cornerbacks so cornerback I would love to see like a take Allen in the Packers uniform, some speed across some jugs and two guys that can scoot. He's got some um, good size too. I like Gowan as a second round player. Or offensive lineman. They've been excellent at scouting offensive line in Green Bay over the past, you know, the Ted Thompson, uh, Ron Wolf eras, Brian Gutekunst. I'm just going to put it right now. Robert Hainsey for the, my fellow Doma here. I think he's going to be a Packer. Really? That's That's the Packer. Tackle guard convert or tackle center convert. That's like their type of offense alignment to a T. Nice. All right. A couple more questions here. And then we got to close out the pod ahead of the interviews. Uh, this is from Marty the Zebra 23. Always great to listen to multiple times a week. What do you think the Patriots should do with their draft? They're incredibly weak at wide receiver. With Cam likely leaving, they'll need to find another QB. In your opinion, how should they address these two positions in the draft and free agency? Rip, dry January. Hate to see it. <laughs> Um, we talk about the Patriots a lot, and, and yeah. I think we've had the, the conversation in the podcast previously yeah. too. I, I, I think they're in a much, they should have tanked in 2020. They should have bought into Will, you know, Jared Stidham and just dropped all the way down to get a Trevor Lawrence or a Zach Wilson. This year, I don't think you can make that same mistake again. Like, go into this year uh, and, and do not 
force a bridge quarterback. Do not force a guy like Jimmy G or Carr with how bad this roster is offensively. Like the receiving core is not going to get good this offseason. The defense that is aging is not going to be two tiers better than what it was this year. Like Mm -hmm. I do think that you're in a much better position addressing in the draft other positions outside of quarterback and trying to build up some legitimate talent. Where I'm going for them, secondary. I'm going heavy in the secondary of this draft because – Devin McCourty, here's your start. Devin McCourty, Jason McCourty, Stephen Gilmore. Jason these guys Jackson. Are, these guys are old. They're not mm-hmm. J.C. Jackson, but th- those guys, the core of that secondary is old. Bill Belichick's defense built predicated off man coverage. You don't have man corners, you're not going to have good defense in that defense. So I would expect them this year to start addressing that for the future because that's where you got to go because by the time you're back competing, you're not gonna, sorry, say it. You're not going to be competing for a Super Bowl in 2021. I don't care what happens this offseason. It's just not in the cards. So by the time you're back competing, Stephen Gilmore, Devin McCourty, Jason McCourty aren't going to be there. They're not going to be near their prime if they are still there. So you got to start addressing the cornerback safety group right now. Now, I kind of did with Duggar last year. More than that, though. All right, let's get one more question in here before the end of the podcast. We're going to have to push the rest to next week. Maybe we get a bonus mailbag episode. I don't know. We got to catch up, Mike, though. These guys need it. These guys deserve it. Mailbag question, last one. Kevin King is trash is his username. Love the pod. I have two questions. On point. What was your guys' real first impressions of each other? Interesting. (laughs) I find that best receivers in the league have the best releases off the line of scrimmage. Adams, Hill, Diggs, et cetera. Who are the top five receivers in this draft class? They have the best releases outside of Chase, Smith, and Waddle. Also, don't sleep on Jamie Newman to the Niners. I'm not sleeping. Let's I start love- with that first question. Okay. You're, uh, what, was you, what was yours? First impression of you, the only other guy at PFF at the time that was anywhere near my mental age. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I first joined PFF, I was the youngest guy here. It wasn't even close. You know, yeah. I was uh, 22, 23. And it, I was like, I need to find someone else that is willing to hammer down at bars or something. And I was like, this is the guy. I thought, you, you got a preppiness about you. I think preppy is one of those words. Uh, come from money about you. I mean, lawyer, doctor, not surprised. Um, but also like, you know, a good time. I, I didn't have like any strong impressions I don't outside think, of preppiness. I was going to say like, I, I didn't even know you got hired for probably six months. Sick. Right, I was also doing a super low level position. I was so in like, the I, no, like, but like I didn't even see like you, mm-hmm. like you didn't even see me for like a while. Oh like no, this, not at all. Yeah. Um, what, what year? You got twenty seventeen is when you came. May twenty seventeen. May twenty seventeen. I probably didn't see you until like after that football season, mm-hmm. right? It's one of the first time I ever saw you because like I wasn't. They weren't asking a ton of office. people to come into the yeah, office. Yeah, I wasn't going to the stuff. office back then. And so, when was it like twenty eighteen? What was like the first time we really hung out together? Was that maybe like when? George came to town or something? Maybe. Oh, no, it was your birthday, I think, somewhere on there. I think your birthday, I don't know. But okay. it was 2018. Summer of 2018 will go down as the, the, the where we bonded, where yeah. legends are made. Is we, we took that summer by the by the bowl. Yeah, by the, the best part about working in football is that there's not a lot to do over the summer. Yeah. You get pretty free summers in terms of work. That life. summer 2018, dude, summer we got, we got some fun. good bags but, in, some good dye in. Yeah, my first impression was very positive. I was like, okay, this guy's cool. Nice. Hey, we've actually hired someone who's not uh, a, a big weirdo, I guess I'll just say. There you go. I'll take it. I'm not a big weirdo. Uh, let's answer the back half of his question. Yes. Outside of Chase Smith and Waddle, best releases. Oh, shit. I didn't see the outside of. Well, so then screw that part. Right. Rank the release. Well, the number ones, I, I ranked them with it. Number one's Rashad Bateman. And two gets off the line of scrimmage. That's like his 
that's why we're so high on him is because he's you can doesn't bank have on the that. deep speed, not a plus athlete, but the dude gets can off bank the line of scrimmage. In that regard, so he's one. But Devontae Smith two, uh, Jalen Waddle three, Jamar Chase at four, Demi Brown at five, North Carolina wideout. Again, a guy who has not the biggest, but they've stuck him on the outside with, you know, kind of locked releases a lot of time. A lot of times he just has to go outside and vertical. Mm-hmm. And that's tough to tough route tree to win in against press. Uh, you gotta be able to get off the line of scrimmage to do it consistently. And he does. Love it. Love it. So we have some guy. questions dripping over. I'm telling you, we're gonna get to all these. Make sure if you wanna be yeah, maybe we do like an extended mailbag. Yeah, something like, a like two that. Two hour that's a lot, point. though. That is a lot. Of people no one's got still. time for that shit. But if we do two one hours, what's the difference? I guess that's true. We'll figure it out. We'll find a way. We'll find a way. Uh, but again, if you want your question featured in the mailbag or a future mailbag episode, please go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, and drop a question in there. Love it. Shorter, the better. It makes it easier for me to read. But hey, I'm not, I'm not turning it Yeah, if you down. could just like separate... The review and the question, the question. that would be nice. That yeah. would be really nice. I would really appreciate that. But uh, again, really appreciate you guys' support. It's been awesome to see how much 2-4 drafts has grown. Like We are blown up i mean not to toot our own horns but we are we are moving up boards here moving up charts which is exciting and it starts with you guys we really appreciate you guys and and everyone that got um that listens to two foreign drafts uh before we break let's listen to the interviews with Ali mcneil and quinn miners of wisconsin whitewater now joining two foreign drafts is nc state's Ali mcneil a much anticipated guest man because we me and mike are, are huge fans of your tape you are electric to watch playing nose tackle for North Carolina this you know these past few years and and coming off a really really good season now entering the 2021 NFL draft living up California weather I'm from Cali so I'm missing it but Thousand Oaks down there training with the Sport Academy how are how are things going man uh, it's going really good um I've really honed in on my diet um uh, focused in on the training down here had a lot of fun in California um obviously with COVID you can't really do much so mm-hmm. and nobody wants to get pop with COVID so you miss two weeks of uh, training or anything like that but um, I'm having a good time out here. Um, I've got my body fat down and my, uh, my weight down where I want it to be. I'm moving a lot better, way quicker than I used to be. Um, getting stronger, training the mind too with cognition stuff. So really uh, living good. That's awesome, man. What's your uh, goal weight right now? And what are you doing diet-wise to get, kind of get down to it? Yeah, uh, my goal weight is 320. I'm 325 right now. Um, I came here at 339 because uh, that's what I played the season at. Um, diet wise, they've got us on a diet plan. It's just, uh, really taking out the red meat. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't give us too much red meat, uh, a lot of vegetables, fruits, um, water instead of Gatorade, we drink body armor. Um, it's a little less in calories. So just basically cleaning it up for me was my, um, not biggest deal coming here. Big, big steak guy. What's your cheat meal here? What's your, what, what are we going for? If we got a cheat meal, uh, we're going for a cheat meal. Well, in Raleigh right here, Raleigh. In Raleigh, uh, probably had uh, Amedios. It's a really uh, famous restaurant on campus. Oh, nice, man. What kind of food is that? Uh, it's Italian food, but I usually get like the Philly cheesesteak or something like that. Man, you're making me hungry. Cincinnati, I'll tell you right now, that's where PFF's based out of. The food scene is horrendous. I mean, there there is not a ton of good food here compared to – I went to uh, San Diego State, and the food in San Diego is incredible. Food in California overall. Um, so you getting down to that 320 number and obviously paying, playing this past year at NC State at 340, are you getting to, down to that number from feedback from teams? What What's making you want to get down to 320? Have you played at that weight before? I'm interested to know, like, the reason behind you kind of trim down a bit. 
yeah. So the reason I was 340 is because I had to play the zero technique. Mm-hmm. And I knew I would have to take on more doubles and triple teams um, just about every game. Um, and me getting back down to 320, 325, is, that's like the way I like playing at the most. Um, I was strong. I was quick. And it wasn't bad weight when I was 340, but I just feel a little bit better about myself when I'm 325, 320. I can move a little bit uh, better side to side, uh, forward. Um, and I can play across the line at that weight. Yeah. Uh, the way I'm moving right now is like really good. So that was really the main reason for me getting back now. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. You played a ton of zero tech at NC State and still won a ton as a pass rusher, which I think is so much easier said than done. When you're playing head up on the center like that, like pass rush wins, pressures, sacks do not come easy because you're playing in a glorified phone booth, seeing a ton of double and triple teams there in the middle. Do you think teams or have teams asked you to play more of a three tech at the next level, getting more on the guards, getting more shaded there? Um, Actually, no team has asked me specifically. They've asked me like what uh, position I like to play the most. Um, and I was just told him I'll play anywhere on the line that I'm needed. So um, specifically, I don't have a favorite position or they've never asked me to play as three tech or a one tech. It's just wherever they need me, I'll play. So that includes running back, right, Aleem? I know you were a big uh, big running back in high school, man. Kind of lighting it up here at running back. You also played like off-ball linebacker in high school. Four-star recruit uh-huh. coming out of uh, North Carolina high school there. And like that running back tape is incredible, man. What did, were you – so talk to me about through, you know, Little League or what is it called, like junior preps or something like that. What were you – were you always playing running back? How would that kind of progress? Yeah, that's what I always played. I was always <laughs> running back and linebacker. I literally – I was running back and linebacker all the way to senior year of high school. Um, and college was first year I ever played D-line. Um, I knew I was going to play D-line in college. That's what my offense were for and stuff. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, growing up, I was always running back and linebacker. I never thought about D-line, like, ever. So. That's incredible. When did you first start playing football? Uh, I was seven years old. Uh, I started playing North Raleigh Bulldogs. North Raleigh Bulldogs represent, man. I think, and you were a multi-sport athlete. You get some basketball in there. I know you. I know you had some baseball experience, man. You sent me a handful yeah. of videos. You just hitting some bombs up uh, at, at bat. Would you play defensively in baseball? And then, did you play any other sports in high school? Um, I played uh, right field in baseball. I was dude uh, outfielder. Oh my gosh, you just yeah, have the outfield. speed for days, dude. The underrated athlete that is Aline McNeil. Incredible. Okay, go ahead, keep going. But yeah, I played uh, right field in high school. But uh, for my showcase team, I played a uh, couple other positions like first base, right field, center, left, uh, pretty much all the outfield and uh, first base. I pitched some, but not for showcase, but uh, when I was a little bit younger. And I, in high school, I pitched too. So uh, not very often, but I did. Awesome, man. Well, let's get back to, you know, specifically this past season at NC State. And I want to talk about kind of pass rush plan. You know, I think that's something that comes up a ton with edge defenders and also interior defensive linemen. When you're, you know, pre-snap, it's this chess match between defensive linemen and offensive linemen, trying to set up moves, work counters and those types of things. What's going through your head pre-snap and how do you approach putting together a pass rush plan pre-snap to attack, you know, offensive linemen on passing downs? Yeah, so depending on what the film like uh, looked like that week, um, so say we're talking about college, most guys, uh, your first rush will really be power because um, everybody on that first snap was trying to, like, get after someone really aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, so say they – well, and I wouldn't say power. Say they jump set me, which is what most linemen do on their first set. Um, that's when I'm hitting them with, a, like, a jab inside or I'm kind of coming back inside. Um, then I'll start doing that more often. Then I'll start sitting back. Then I'll hit them with power. Then they start sitting on the power and power and snaps. 
Um, so it really depends on what the fan looks like that week or who I'm going against, what type of O-line they are. Are they aggressive? Are they passive? Do they like to sit back? Um, but some of the moves I really like to hit is just a uh, pull snatch. Um, I'll hit a club rip on guys too. Uh, but I really like using my feet. <clears throat> almost like, um, I don't want to disrespect D-line, but like, almost like playing receiver, just using my feet. Um, mm-hmm. Almost like getting off a break or trying to get uh, by the DB or whatnot. So I like jabbing, using my feet, because um, I have quick feet. That was just coming from me playing linebacker and running back. But um, almost like hitting a crossover move. I yeah. just like to see where the guys go. I'll jab him inside, come back out. I see his hips turn or he starts lunging. I'm jabbing. I'm playing off the outside foot and going back inside. So that's what I, I like to do. I really do think, and I've had a handful of conversations with you know defensive linemen over the past few weeks that the the similarities between O line, D line as pass rusher, you know, pass rush and pass blocking versus wide receivers and corners is very similar. Like it's a very similar chess match there. I want to talk more about I know you mentioned film. You know, how much film are you watching in a given game week? And what exactly are you looking for when you're opponent scouting or even self scouting on that film, trying to see how you can improve and then also some of the tells or some of the things that you're seeing on tape? What are you looking for? Yeah, I watch a ton of film because um, I like getting the tendencies on the guys. That's really that's what I look for. Um, besides, like looking at the formations, what plays they run. Um, I like to look at each player that comes in throughout the game, the backups, all of that, um, and the between the guards and the centers. I like looking for tendencies. Are they looking this way? Do they lean this way? Um, which way their foot points on this stretch play? Um, how can I know they're going down inside? They lean a bit, a little bit more inside. A lot of guys like to put their right arm or, or their inside arm down on their thigh when they're about to pass block. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of guys like to just dangle that hand when they're about to run block. So that's really what I look for when I'm watching film. I watch a ton of film. Though. And do, do you, in the in the summers or in the off season, do you turn on a lot of film on, say, like NFL players or other college players that you respect or even yourself? I'm interested to know, like, what are you looking for in film maybe in the off season to kind of improve? All of it. Um, I watch all of it, all levels. Uh, the NFL guys I really watch the most. I watch Aaron Donald because um, I like his finesse moves. But my favorite player to watch is Fletcher Cox. Um, I feel like we're not the same size, obviously, but I feel like I model my game after him. Um, just the way he attacks and strikes and destroys uh, linemen, that's how I wanted my game to be. And um, I was able to somewhat get that my uh, junior year. Um, not quite on Fletcher Cox level, obviously, but I felt like I was able to throw a couple guys out the way. Um, yeah. Ben Donald, Fletcher Cox, I watched that. I watched me a lot just to see what I did last season and what I uh, can improve on. So that's that's what I'm doing all offseason. I've always said that if Aaron Donald didn't exist, people would be speaking more about Fletcher Cox because I think Aaron yeah. Donald obviously dominates the NFL and is like dominating the conversation for the best defensive tackle in the NFL. Three-time defensive player of the year now. But Fletcher Cox, man, dominant in his own right. I'm glad you also watch his game as well. Looking now at what you're working on, with Sport Academy there at Thousand Oaks, what you know, what are you, I'm sure it's a little bit of everything. I think everyone knows that. But what are you looking to specifically improve at uh, the Sport Academy? What drills are you most looking forward to? Are you setting any goal times in addition to those goal weights? Mm-hmm. Well, I can't even say specifically because I'm trying to work on everything. Yeah, um, like everything can be improved. Um, but if I had to choose, I'd just say my weight really. Because mm-hmm. I have the strength, I have the speed and the quickness off the ball um, to be able to play at the next level. Um, so I would just say, my like, working on cognition stuff, working on my mind and my weight. Um, goal times, I don't have any specifics. I know I'm going to – I expect to test well because um, I have usually done that and I've put in the work to be able to do so. 
Uh, I would like to hit 35-plus on bench. Um, I've been kind of hitting that consistently the last couple of weeks I've been here. Um, 40 time-wise, I don't really have a specific. I'm, I believe I could be able to run four, uh, sub 4.9, like in the 4.83 range, 4.84. Um, at my weight, I think that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. But uh, nothing really specific. Um, vertical jump-wise, I expect to hit over like 33, 34. So I just out here working, just trying to get it in. So. Yeah. Of course, man. Uh, when you when you say cognition stuff, I'm interested in more details on that. What exactly does that entail? So is that, um, we do a lot of cognition work. Um, it's like this like app that we use. I can't remember the name of it. I think it's just through Sports Academy. Mm-hmm. And uh, it'll show like a series of dots and whatnot. It's just working on reaction time and quickness gotcha. and being able to process in your brain. That's really all it is. Just sharpening your mind. That's interesting, man. I want to finish the, the interview with this. And I think it's fun to, you know, ask draft prospects this because obviously you've got, you got a lot of job interviews ahead, probably going to interview with a ton of teams and all those things. I think a common question you'll get asked is why do you love football? How much do you love football? And then also what are you bringing to a football team on and off the field? Why I love football is just – it's kind of unexplainable, honestly. Um, it's done so much for me, taught me so many lessons throughout life. Um, put me in this position where I'm at today. I'm going to interview with PFF. Um, big time stuff. It's just the passion I have for it is unreal. Like, I, this is my day to day life, and I have no, I don't complain about this at all. Like, there's nothing else I would rather be doing right now. Um, what I would bring to a team is just my, my ability to be able to lead um, in times that I need to. Um, obviously, I'll be a young guy coming in, and so I'm be sitting back watching and um, listening and learning. But, um, I bring a skill set that most D linemen in the league <clears throat> do hone, and I am able to perfect it at like a different level. Um, I think I bring a combination of speed and power, which a lot of guys in the league have, but I feel like I'm on a different level with it. Um, my feet are like I play, I play running back and linebacker, so my feet are really quicker than most of the guards and centers in the league. Um, I just be, I'm just able to bring a large impact to a team. Or, be able to make plays when I need to um, just do the right things and be that guy for them when they need it. Awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate the time doing big stuff, like getting an interview with PFF. You're the big time guy on this call, man. It's awesome to talk to you. And I really uh, wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Welcome to Two Foreign Drafts. Austin Gale here with Wisconsin Whitewater offensive lineman, dare I say legend, Quinn Miners. I mean, you legitimately have become a star overnight, went down to Mobile as a replacement. You went down to Mobile as a replacement for Landon Dickerson, the Alabama center. You go to Mobile, play garden center there after playing what? You play tackle at Wisconsin Whitewater mostly, right? Or at least on the opposite side. That was, uh, that was, I played tackle in high school. Yeah. But uh, yeah, at Whitewater, it was freshman year, right guard. Mm-hmm. And uh, sophomore and junior year, I started at left guard. That's for right. All games. Yeah, yeah. So, so it was a go- little bit of a transition to center. <laughs> you go down to Wisconsin Whitewater, play a ton of center, and then and just dominate, pancaking guys in the team drills, winning in one on ones. The Patrick Jones one on one has literally like blown up on Twitter. How much has your life changed? I'm sure a ton of more interviews, a lot more interest. How much has your life changed since that week in Mobile? Yeah, I would say the obvious ones. I've gotten a lot more, uh, you know, media attention. A lot more people want to find out, you know, who I am. But I mean, honestly, I just. I've been staying true to who I am. This is who I've been the entire time. And it's just cool to be able to see, you know, everybody, you know, kind of deep dive into who I am and what I've been doing, to be honest, you know, it's, I guess, you know, under recruited out of high school and 
I don't know, I guess I was silent for a little bit in Whitewater. And it's cool to have this, you know, moment where people are, are starting to find out, you know, who I am. Yeah, I mean, zero star recruit coming out, obviously go to Wisconsin Whitewater, have success there. And then COVID-19, you know, limits you from having a 2020 season. You go down to Mobile as a replacement and light the world on fire. And I think it's, you know, obviously surprising to a lot of people who didn't know a ton about you going in. But I will say this, Quinn, it is attention well-deserved, man. Going up draft boards, well-deserved for what you did down there in Mobile. I want to peel it back a little bit and talk about your experience going uh, at Whitewater, specifically with Coach Owen Reese. He's a, a friend of mine I met down in Mobile. We follow each other on Twitter. Mike and I, too. Mike's my podcast co-host. He's not here with us. But how much of an influence has Owen Reese had you, play, you know, <clears throat> their planet with uh, Wisconsin Whitewater? You know, I'm not a big social media guy. Uh, first, you know, I'm, I'll start off with that. I don't really, you know, I don't really post much. I'm not really active on it. But uh, I'm sure a lot of people know that Coach Reese is a lot more active than I am on social media. And you know, he was able to, you know, kind of help get me a little bit of exposure and kind of get some momentum building, um, you know, my, my junior year at Whitewater with, you know, posting, you know, some of my pancake videos and just kind of having a little bit of out, out there uh, captions and stuff. Yeah. But that's just how that's how he is on social media. And it's awesome. So to get, you know, to be able to have him, you know, I, I kind of leaned on him a lot for some social media posts and like, hey, how should I do this and, and stuff like that? You know, he he's been a huge help you know, getting, getting, um, you know, more exposure. What has some of the feedback been or what was some of the feedback you received from the coaching staff down there in Mobile? Because I'm sure, you know, this praise is not just coming from media. I'm sure coaches also came away impressed. What has been both positive and negative feedback you came coming out of Mobile? Yeah, I think, you know, an obvious kind of, you know, I was learning a new position on the job. So obviously <laughs> there was a little bit of, you know, rawness to, you know, my ability to play center. And, but I was able to show that I, I, I can do it. You know, there was definitely those, you know, flashy moments that a lot of people were kind of pumping up these videos of, you know, me pancaking people or, or whatever, but you know, the feedback was awesome. Um, I was able to learn a lot and kind of keep improving every single day at the senior bowl. You know, I, after the day one, it was, you know, some, you know, some of the feedback was, you know, Hey, anticipate the snap a little bit better. You know, you're at the point of attack. You're, you know, you're, you got one hand for, you know, half a second of the block. So anticipate a snap better and, you know, hat, uh, hat placement, you know, especially on some of those outside zone plays, trying to reach a shade because those guys challenged me with, with their ability to get off the football. So there was a lot of, you know, feedback and I think I improved every single day. I would agree. Was there a lot of discussion between you and the players? Because I'm sure there was also, you know, mirrored praise and and how those guys, you know, guys you're going toe-to-toe -to -toe with, Levi and Wuzurike, Patrick Jones, I mean, a handful of other, like, power five legit recruits coming out, meeting you for the first time, first time, I'm sure. What was some of the, uh, what was some of the comments they made? Yeah, so, like, the initial, like, day, I mean, nobody really knew who I was. <laughs> like, I, and that's to be expected. I mean, yeah. I'm a Division three guy coming out of, out of Whitewater. And after the first day, a lot of people were like, they were asking questions just kind of like how the media is like, why they wanted to know more kind of about me and stuff like that. And so it was really cool to, you know, gain, you know, the respect from those guys, you know, after, you know, the first day or two of practice. I think that was the coolest part was to basically come, come into a room and nobody really pay attention to who I was. And then now being able to be a part of those conversations, included in things and, you know, be you know, not looked at as the Division Three Wisconsin Whitewater to be looked at, you know, as a legitimate player. 
What went into, I have to know, what went into the decision to go belly up at Senior Bowl? Looks like you got a little sunburnt down there. You got the belly out with the <laughs> shirt off. Is that a common move for you there at Whitewater? Did you pull that out fresh for uh, everyone down there at the Senior Bowl? No, I've, I've been doing the gut out since high school. Uh, <laughs> I actually, uh, my high school nickname was the gut, and my nickname at Whitewater was also the gut. Love that. Yeah, so, I mean, always in fall camp, I almost always had the, the belly out. You know, it was, you know, in August, it's pretty hot you know, in Wisconsin. And, you know, during this time in Wisconsin, it's really cold. So when I was down there in Alabama and uh, Mobile, um, yeah, it was just hot. I wanted to just be comfortable and do what I've been doing for years. That's kind of my common theme here with answering questions. I've been doing, I was just, I'm the same person. It's just not everybody's start, starting to see it a little bit. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I mean, the, the gut was awesome. I, it really did take Twitter by storm. In addition to playing really well, it was a, it was awesome to see that. The other thing that kind of came out during Mobile is that video of you like hitting trees and shit in Canada. Like, what? I need to know the background for that video. When did you shoot that? Why did you shoot that? I have to know the background there. Yeah, that was in the summer of uh, 2019, uh, getting ready, um, you know, for that 2019 season. Um, you know, after my finals in May. Uh, went up there and was, you know, fishing and, and working out. And I wanted to make a, a workout video of what I was doing up there. So that way, like our first day of fall camp, we could kind of put my video that I made up there on the big screen and just kind of have like a, I don't know, motivational kind of hype video going into the season. But yeah, I was just being as creative as I could to stay, you know, with, I was up on a remote island in the middle of nowhere. Uh, so I did kind of be a little creative and in my training techniques to make sure I was ready for fall camp. So that was, you know, practicing my punch on a tree, you know, I brought a weight set with me and set it up in the middle of the woods, you know, using logs and trees and water jugs, propane tanks. It was, it was really fun to, you know, to make that video and, you know, to use, you know, my creativity. So you gotta do what you train. You got to do what you got to do sometimes, you know? It sounds like you're resourceful at most. I, I, another thing I want to do to comment on or is to walk me through, you know, Ian Rappaport of NFL.com or NFL Network, really. Um, NFL Media is probably the best way to say that. It's tweeted out saying something along the lines of you pleading with Brian Flores to play in the Senior Bowl after breaking your hand, snapping. What exactly happened to your hand? And, and, and how did that conversation go with Brian Flores? I'd love to hear from your perspective how much that plea went, how, how well that plea went. Yeah, so how I broke my hand, it was not from snapping. It was just in an individual drill. My hands got, my hand, this, my two fingers got stuck on a pad as I was trying to drive through it. I got, it, it kind of hurt. And then I taped it up and kind of went through practice and the pain kind of got worse and worse. And then after mm -hmm. practice, got an x-ray, figured out my hand was broken. But um, yeah, so during our walkthrough on Friday, um, kind of coach, coach Flo comes up to me and he goes, he goes, yeah, I'm not going to play in the game on Saturday. You know, I, I have a bad feeling about your hand. And that's kind of, that's kind of how it was. But uh, after that, I, after I walked through, I went up to the head athletic trainer. And I was like, is there, like, can't we just cast it up? And like, I can still use, you know, my thumb and you know, I can still use these fingers and maybe not these two. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's, you know, he was like, yeah, maybe, maybe we could. Um, and then coach, uh, kind of coach Flo got back in the conversation and he was like, no, you're not playing. Like, that's just, and I was like, well, can, I guess guys could play like a couple snaps or something like that. And he, we ended up uh, making a deal on if we went in victory that he would put me in. And uh, yeah, we ended, we ended up, uh, you know, getting into victory at the end of the game. So I was able to get my two snaps in and that's how, that's kind of how it worked out. How's, how's the recovery on the hand? I think it's going really well. Um, you know, it's, it was an in place uh, fracture. So I was, I just pretty much just got to let it heal for a couple of weeks. 
What are you uh, working on right now? Where are you located? And, and I'm sure you're preparing for what is a Wisconsin Whitewater Pro Day, probably sometime in late March. What exactly, what drills are you working? Are you working to build weight up? I'd be interested to know um, how you're preparing for that Pro Day. Yeah, so right now um, I'm training at Exos, it, uh, the, the Exos in uh, Frisco, Texas. Um, yeah, I think just doing the you know traditional combine training or I guess now it's pro day training because yeah. the combine isn't really happening. But yeah, I think just going through the typical process of, you know, you know, getting faster, getting stronger, getting leaner. And it's kind of kind of going through a typical process. I think not really um, anything, you know, too crazy, but yeah, kind of getting ready for a pro day in uh, when, March. Yeah. When is that Wisconsin Whitewater Pro Day? Um, right now, the, the plan is to try to get into the the pro day at, at the the Badgers pro day. Oh, that's okay. Typically, that's typically how a small school guy would do it in a normal year. Mm-hmm. So would go to the the Badgers pro day because uh, Whitewater we don't have an indoor facility. And uh, oh man, that's insane! <laughs> <laughs> so you guys practice outdoors in like November, December? Oh yeah, yeah. Like sometimes, like sometimes if it's thunderstorms, we'll kind of put our uh, tennis shoes on and go into the field house. But uh, yeah, it's, that's incredible. Yeah, we just we got the uh, nice uh, nice Perkins Stadium nice and cozy in December, but yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. And looking forward to the NFL and, and kind of where you expect to play in the NFL, because obviously you're learning this new position on the fly and had a lot of success at center. Do you expect teams to want to try you at center in the NFL? Do you expect them to want to try you at guard? Have you heard any feedback from teams and maybe Zoom interviews early on? I'm interested to know what position you're thinking right now when you go to the next level. Yeah, so I've kind of been asked that question a couple times. My, my answer is, all three. That's that was um, what I've been, you know, trying to add to my arsenals. Being able to say I can also play center. So I, I really want to, you know, whether I play left, right, or center, I think I can comfortably, you know, play all three of them. But yeah, I, I guess I don't really have a specific position to solidify. I actually had a lot of fun playing center mm-hmm. and enjoyed and enjoyed it. But yeah, I think I think I could play any one of those and show that I'm, you know, versatile. So I kind of want to finish the interview with this because I know you've done a ton of interviews of late and talked to a ton of different people. What do people still not know about Quinn Myers? Because I feel like there's obviously a lot of information out there. The video is out. The gut is out. The nickname is on, on the, on the books. Now, what do what do people still need to find out about Quinn Myers? Um, I think, you know, people got to know that like, especially with the gut thing, I think a lot of people kind of thought that I was just doing it to try to get some type of attention. I'm mm-hmm. not an attention person. I was just being myself out there. So, you know, the people, the person that you're seeing through these interviews or whatever, whatever deep dive you're doing, that's the person that I've been the entire time. And I'm, I'm, it's awesome to be able to tell my story of, Hey, I was being creative up in Canada and, and trying to work out while, uh, while I was up there, I've always had my gut out and I was learning a new position on the fly. I literally was texted the night before, our practice and the O-line coach said, Hey, you're playing all center for day one and day two. That's why I got you written up as. <laughs> so I think it's important to know that like, I didn't have a, I didn't have a season and I had to kind of teach myself how to play center. <laughs> Man, that is, again, it just adds to just the entire story that is, you know, Quinn Miners right now, how you're blowing up, man. I, I really, really appreciate you setting aside the time to do an interview with me here on two for one drafts. I, I really do wish you the best of luck moving forward. I think it's going to be an upward trajectory as we continue. No more practices, no more gut out, unfortunately, but I still <laughs> think the hype, the hype will continue. And uh, I really appreciate the time. And like I said, best of luck moving forward. Yeah. Thank you so much. I had a good, had a good time. With you. <sighs> Love Ali McNeil. 
dude, multi-sport athlete in high school, running back linebacker. I, I was having fun talking to him. He has, he's a cool dude. And Quinn Miners, another guy that like I found very humbling. Like he is a guy that like, yeah, I got a ton of attention at the senior bowl and, and rightfully so. Like it, it was, it was very cool to talk to him about this has been me since day one. You know, I've been this guy at Wisconsin Whitewater. Now just people saw me on TV, you know, and I think he's blown up for the right reasons. He's like, I think for the right reasons. There for the he's reasons. there for the right reasons, like the Bachelorette contestants. But he's center three on Mel Kuyper's board right now. He's moving up. Like people are taking notice of Quinn Miners, and I think rightfully so. He can ball, dude can ball, That's... dude can ball. Oh, he said he's still, he's still he's still he's working out with Patrick Jones now too, and they're talking shop a little bit. He said no one talked to him on the first day, and Ooh. then after that, everyone's like talking to him and knows who he was. But to be fair, no one knew who he was going in. Yeah. But interesting stuff from the gut. Uh, until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, Mike Quinn, two point drafts.